Greetings and welcome to the pod. My name is Mark West. Peter Hancock has now swum well over a thousand consecutive days, most days in a dam in Armadale, central New South Wales. Often the temperature is down near freezing, but this is not the first time Pete has conquered an incredible swimming challenge. In 2014, he swam in 333 different locations in the one year, including in the 1.6 degree Fox Glacier River in New Zealand. As a freshwater ecologist, it's not just the swimming that Pete likes. There are plenty of things to look at. He has discovered new species of freshwater crustaceans and beetles, and documents much of it on his Instagram. Pete also recently completed an indoor Ironman, raising money for Headspace. So he knows how to run and cycle as well. I started by asking Pete, as always, if he's always been an ocean or inland rivers swimmer. Pretty much, um, I, I, I still do swim in pools, but I'm, I much prefer sort of um, natural waters. And I've always lived inland, um, so I have a preference for rivers and lakes. Um, the one time we did live on the coast, it was up in Cape York, so you couldn't swim in the ocean anyway because there'd be crocs and sharks and other things like that that might um, kill you. Yes. But ha- having said that, we all, we've always gone to the uh, Maroochydore, it's sort of our traditional family holiday spot over Christmas, so we did a, a bit of swimming in the ocean there. And, and nowadays you're swimming mostly inland and in in dams, I don't think I've ever spoken to anybody that that swims in dams very often. What what's that like? No, oh, it's it's great. It um, takes a bit of getting used to if you're used to the ocean. That the temperature drops to um, well, this winter it's down to about six or seven degrees. It gets pretty cold, um, but and you, you're less buoyant in fresh water too. So it's bit harder to swim than in the ocean but yeah I enjoy it there's a you get to see a fair bit of wildlife and I think that's probably what attracts me to it you just the um the birds that you see um you don't see many fish in in fresh water unless you're in a in a river or a narrow smaller body of water but there's certainly a lot of birds a lot of um other wildlife you see on the on the banks like um a lot of lizards and things well as an aquatic ecologist that that must be right up your alley then really combining your interests it is yeah and i probably got into aquatic ecology largely because i enjoy the swimming so I um, i grew up sort of swimming in rivers and and dams and and when i went off to university i just picked. I was thinking of doing marine biology, but living inland that was a bit bit difficult. So I went for freshwater ecology, and um, since I started working, I've really it's really taken me to some cool, pretty cool spots. Um, and I always, whenever I'm doing some sampling, I always like to get in the water and actually have a look around um, at what's happening under the surface, rather than just 
collecting fish samples in a net. Um, I'd, I'd rather get in the water and actually do a bit of snorkeling and see what the fish are doing um, while they're sort of in their natural environment. Oh, so you get to actually swim as part of your work as well? Yeah. Yeah, so maybe that makes me a professional swimmer. That makes you but, a professional swimmer yeah, as well? Yeah, we do. Yeah. But, um, yeah, part of, our, part of our work is to monitor fish populations and um, also aquatic invertebrate populations. And in, in, in rivers, you can get fairly close to fish without spooking them. Um, and in some cases, for example, some catfish, the eel-tailed catfish can be quite curious and they'll come up and they'll follow you around like little puppy dogs because as you, if you're snorkelling, you're kicking, your fins are kicking up sediment and in, invertebrates off the bottom of the river and the catfish come along and they'll eat the little bugs that you pick up um, and things like eels are pretty curious as well. Uh, they can they can actually be a bit spooky if you're snorkeling at night time, which is the best time to get in the water for aquatic or for a lot of, a lot of um, freshwater species because they are nocturnal. Um, the eels will come up to you and just have a bit of a look at look at you. And I've I've never been attacked before, um, but they just sort of come out of the darkness at you, and it can be a bit spooky. Are they are they interested in attacking you, or are they, are those are they those sorts of creatures? No, I, I haven't heard of anyone being bitten. Um, they they do, I suppose. Apart from fishermen, or if, if you've got them um, hooked, I've heard of fishermen trying to get their their hook out and they've been bitten. But generally, with eels, they'll. Um, have a look at you and then they'll just sort of they might come close because they've got pretty bad eyesight and then they'll just sort of turn around once they realize what you are they'll turn around and head back um into the bank or off to some sort of other shelter under a log but there's not not many freshwater fish that will attack you we we do have um bull rout which are freshwater stonefish and uh, so you know probably a, a dozen people every year might step on a bull route and, and have to go to hospital because they've been a, a stonefish they do have venomous spines that can cause a fair bit of damage that i've never i've never actually heard of freshwater stonefish are these uh, are they across australia or are they kind of more on, on the east coast where we are yeah, east coast, east coast rivers. So a lot of the, the Hastings River um, near Port Macquarie or near near Warhope in the freshwater reaches, um, Bellinger River. A, a lot of the north, yeah, north north coast rivers have them. And when you so you're you're famous. Um, I, I've seen seen you in the paper. That makes you famous. You've swum a thousand days, a thousand consecutive days in a row. Uh, a lot of these uh, were in Armadale, in the in the Dumaresque, Dumaresque Dam in in Armadale. Dumaric, Dumaric Dam. Dumaric, yeah. okay. That's Dumaric. Uh, yeah, that's one of our local. Well, that's used to be a town water supply 
100 years ago. It, um, it was probably 120 years ago they, uh, they finished building it. And um, now it's just a recreation reserve. And um, it's interesting, up, up until recently, I, I was the only one who used to go out there swimming regularly. But with COVID, clo- last year closing a lot of the, the indoor swimming pools down, um, a lot of the mates who I swim with, they actually came out and had a swim with me, and then they've kept swimming through winter, and they keep they've kept going. So it's been really good um, getting a lot more people out there. That's pretty brisk in the but middle I'm of winter just, in Armadale. Yeah, I'm I'm actually now up to a two thousand about two thousand seven hundred days. So I've kept that swimming streak going. Oh wow! Um, just just because. Well, why not? Yeah. Gives me something to do. Yeah. What's what's your minimum criteria? Do you just have to get in and get out, or do you have to swim a kilometre? How do you motivate yourself if you're not no, feeling very I, well? Or well, I used to do. Um, I used to make it two and a half k's. It used to be my thing that I'd call a swim. But now I've I've become a bit more casual, so I'll get in. The, the minimum criteria, I suppose, is probably. Um, I need to probably be completely buoyant because I, I, I also try and swim in as many different types of water bodies as I can and sometimes they're, they're only fairly small for farm dams so they're not very long and uh, not very deep. But So my minimum criteria would be swimming at least a couple of hundred metres and being completely able to float and also... We've got to be able to go underwater because I like to have a look underwater and see what's around. In speedos the whole time? Yeah, occasionally I'll wear wetsuit. Um, I have softened a bit over the years. I never used to, until probably last year. I didn't didn't wear wetsuits, although except when I went to New Zealand or when I was diving or something like that. Um, but I um yeah, I prefer no wet. Because even even when it's cold, I find my hands. If if you're swimming a kilometre in six or seven degree water, even if you've got a wetsuit on, you lose the function of your hands, and it's really I find it really hard to pull a wetsuit off if you've got um, numb hands or you know, or, or you, have, you lose your dexterity, so you can't un- undo the zips. It's often just better to go in and suffer the cold and then get out um, and then suffer the after drop, which is the, um, which is the bit where you start to really start to shiver and cool down. Do you have a favourite, do you have a favourite place in inland New South Wales or, or anywhere really um, to swim? Uh, I like, I like Jumeric Dam, but um, I've done a fair few swimming trips over to New Zealand, and there's a place called Blue Pools near Wanaka, which is uh, on the South Island, and it's just a really clear stream that flows out of a rocky gorge, and um, I've swum up that rocky gorge a bit, as much as you can when the river's flowing. Uh, you, you're swimming against the current. 
and um, it can be quite hard to make distance upstream. But once you get upstream, then I just like to turn around and ride the currents back. Um, and you see big trout and um, other invertebrates, things like stoneflies um, and mayflies on the bottom. But again, in New Zealand, Lake Hiroko is one of my favourites as well. It's a, um, I don't know if I'm saying it right, but it's the deepest lake in New Zealand. It's in the Fjordland region. Uh, again, clear water, pretty cold, um, and, but surrounded by beautiful vegetation. Um, yeah, there's heaps. Uh, in, in Australia, I, I like a lot of the, the snowy mountain lakes. Because they're clear. Um, Tasmania is good. I've swum a bit in the, the Kimberley as well, or the, in the in the Pilbara region. So, yeah, I don't know. There's, there's so many nice spots in inland Australia, and and even um, the the the, um, the Barwon River and those big muddy rivers. In inland Australia, it's different to any of the coastal rivers that we've got. Um, just that they have different biota. They've got big river muscles that can be, you know, 20 cell, 15 centimetres long, and um, you don't, you can't really do much snorkeling in those rivers because they're too turbid. But you can dive down and you can feel in the mud and, and find the invertebrates. Oh, the, the muscles in the mud. What's the cleanliness like? I mean, you hear of algal blooms and such things in in the rivers. Is it is it relatively safe to swim in the majority of rivers? I I would say the, the main risk you have is bacteria. So um, in in um, high high density agricultural areas, for example, you can get fecal coliforms and um, it washed into the river after rain. So swimming after rain, it's it's like in the coastal areas, the swimming after rain is um, potentially less safe than swimming, you know, when, when there hasn't been rain because things wash into creeks and uh, rivers and they can increase the turbidity and... Um, make it a bit more dangerous. So the main health health risks are the bacteria in in inland rivers. But having said that I haven't really I haven't really been sick but it from swimming and apart from once I swam in Portugal and I got got a bacterial infection um, in the Tagus River over there. But it it, it didn't um, put me in hospital or anything, um, but it, it made me feel pretty crook. In New Zealand, you swam in the, uh, a glacier river, the Fox Glacier River, at um, less than two degrees. That would have been some experience. Was that still in speedos as well? Yeah, it was. It was actually <laughs> we we I, I went over there with a mate, and we were getting ready to go for a swim, and we were getting um, hammered by sand flies. So it was actually a relief to get in the water, and um, 
get away from those sand flies. But I, I did two swims in that. Oh, no, three, three swims in that um, lake. It's it's a, a big lake downstream of a glacier, and it's in the in the foothills of Mount Cook. Um, and it's got icebergs in it because the icebergs come off the front of the glacier and then they just drift along this lake which is several kilometres long and where we got in was about halfway along the lake and uh, we swam around a couple of little icebergs and then back to the shore. It was it's pretty cool. One of the icebergs had a hole in it so I was able to climb up and sort of go like a seal through the hole in the middle of the iceberg. How long did you need to train your body to be able to deal with that sort of temperature? Before that, I'd been swimming in sort of four-degree water. So I was... um, And and I'd been doing cold water swimming on and off for for years. So I think it's more of a... A psychological thing if you if you know if your head knows what what to expect then you're able to um, compensate for the cold water to, by having a bit more control over how you respond once you get in because the dangerous thing with cold water is people get in and they gasp and they you know they take in water or um, or their body goes into shock you know I say the, the bloke who I, I went over and, and did the swim with, he hadn't he hadn't acclimatised to the cold water, um, but he was able to get in for a couple of, well, probably a minute or two minutes and have a bit of a swim and then get out and get dressed. Um, How long were you he, in for? Um, probably 10, 10-ish minutes or, or more. Maybe maybe twelve minutes for one. I did, I did three different swims, and they probably would have been between ten and twelve minutes. And I tend to limit my stay in cold waters because it's actually when you get out that it becomes a bit more dangerous. If you stay in too long, you you don't actually feel too cold when you're swimming. It's when you get out and you stand up and the cold blood on the extremities of your body returns to the core of your body and that's when you start to get cool. Yeah, so we we start to shiver. You were okay after those swims? Yeah, we shivered a bit but then we had to climb back up out of the lake because the the lake shores are fairly steep um, and they rise up maybe 50 or 60 metres up to the top and then you're climbing over um, rocky terrain um, deposited by the glacier. Um, right. So it's a, you warm up as you're getting out, as you're getting out of the lake. Yeah, I hope and, your feet and, and your hands and aren't numb. No, they were all right. <laughs> That's amazing. Are you tempted by, you know, things like the ice mile or, or that sort of extreme end of cold water swimming yeah yeah the, the ice mile is is interesting i i had more of an interest a couple of years ago i was more keen to try it um but i didn't um 
I, I was, wasn't in an area where it was getting down to below five degrees um, and I didn't have the resources to go off tasting five-degree water. Um, mm. But I've heard there's been a few people who have done it this year um, in Canberra. But yeah, I, yeah if, I think if I was in a situation where I was did, did have that water available to me, I'd, I'd have a go at it. In, in 2014, you swam in 333 different different locations just in the one year. <laughs> How did you find 333 different yeah. locations? Uh, it was um, it was fun. Uh, that 20, so I, that was one of my New Zealand trips. I did I did I think 50 spots in New Zealand, and then that was early in the year, and then I came home and I thought, oh, I might just see how many I can swim, how many different spots I could swim. And I, I'd go to different places for work, but I'd also, on the weekends, we, um, we, well, I took the kids off to different places to swims and um, Google Google Earth helps. Um, I explored around Armidale. I've probably hit more than 100 120 spots within uh, 150 k's of Armadale. Wow. But we're lucky up here because we've got, we're not too far from the coast. We get down to Coffs Harbour and there's a lot of subtropical rivers on the north coast that are quite nice to swim in. Um, but I also, in, in, that, um, in that year, I tried to get as much variety as I could, so I swam in. Uh, swamps, uh, lakes, rivers, uh, inland rivers, um, bore baths, like artesian, where artesian bore water oh. bubbles up to the surface and um, they, they, there's a few artesian baths out, well there's Moree which is the, yep. um, at the town swimming pool is fed by artesian water but there's also um, a bore bath out at Pilliga and Burren Junction and the, the water, and, and Lightning Ridge. Lightning Ridge, the water's about 38 degrees. Oh, wow. Um, so it's really, we, we used to go out there in winter and we'd do a ball barge tour of western New South Wales and we'd go to all these um, warm water and the outside temperature at night time can get down to zero degrees, but if you're in these 38 degree water and lying back and looking up at the stars, it's really nice. Amazing. How big are those baths? The one in Lightning Ridge, it's it's sort of a um, a circular concrete lined. Uh, it's almost like a, a submerged water tank, you know, and and it's a diameter of about fifteen meters, I think. I'm not not sure exactly, but um, fifteen or twenty meters. And a lot of the locals out there come in early in the morning at about 4.30 or 5 o'clock and they'll have a soak and they sit in there talking and talking, planning their day and catching up with each other. So it's a, a little bit of a community thing. Um, and then 
a bit later in the morning, the tourists come and they'll have a chat and sit down and talk about where they've been and what they've seen. But, yeah, the wall bars are really nice. We so often hear about the community aspects of of the swimming. Um, do you have? You mentioned you've got some local friends that you swim with in Armadale. Is that is that a regular thing? Yeah, it is. Well, they go out to the dam, out to Jumeric Dam, maybe three or four times a week. There's about eighteen of them, so it's grown over the last you know eighteen months or twenty months. Since COVID, it's grown from a couple of people to about 18 now. And um, and not everyone turns up. You might get two or three in the morning, one morning, and then three or four the next morning. Um, but, yeah, they, they've really taken it on board. They're, they're really enthusiastic, and it's, it's, it's good to see. They've... Um, also started branching out and not just swimming in Jumeric Dam, but going in, going on little weekend trips to some of the local waterfalls near here. And um, one of them at the moment is a doctor and he's up in North Queensland sending us all photos of tropical rivers and lakes that he's swimming in. Um, well, there used to be an organised... Yeah, it's great. Well, there used to be an organised swim at Copeton Dam, I noticed. Did you ever do that one? Yeah, I did that. I, I did that I don't know, for all the years it was running. I think it was three or four, maybe. I did the 5K swim. That would have been great. And yeah, it was good too. But yeah, I've actually... I go out to Copeton a bit and swim. And I'm half thinking about doing a big swim out there at the end of this year, just uh, I've never swum 30Ks before, so I thought I might go and try that um, in November or December. Wow. So the dam's big enough for you to swim 30Ks without too much hassle? If, if it fills. <laughs> right. If it fills. It's filling up at the moment because we're getting a fair bit of rain, but um, it's about 10, meter, 10 kilometres from one end to the other, and then uh, I was just thinking of swimming around it. Yep. Um, I've, I've run around it when the water's been low, and that's about 60 k's around the outside if you go in all the bays and follow the water. Um, but when the water level comes up, it smooths out a lot of the little um, the little bays and, and makes the the um, the shoreline a bit less convoluted. That would be an amazing swim. What's the furthest you've swum before? Uh, 25. Okay. 25Ks, and that was on my 2,500 day. I did that. Cool. But um, that was in a swimming pool, and I did it. I swam for 2Ks, and then I had stopped and had something to eat. Then I swam for another 2Ks. So, so I broke it up really into 2K increments. Yep. So it's the, the longest I've swum continuously would be a, a 10K swim without stopping. So would this be 30K on your 3,000th day? Mm, I'm not sure. I haven't 
I don't think so. I've worked out when the 3,000th day is. Um, but I'm up to about 2,700 now, so yeah, it might be, it'll be next year sometime. Be, yeah. talking about running around the the dam as well so you're an athlete of some regard i've, I've seen your strava you're amazing uh, with your runs and your swims um and you're telling me that you're doing a, a an indoor iron man next week so where have your adventures taken you what what um where are you going with your runs now Oh, well, running usually lead to a swimming spot. <laughs> so I always used to like to include a swim in my runs. Even if I'm doing a race, I'll stop and have a swim, or I'll either swim at the start or swim at the end. But um, yeah, running, I've, running is good. I've sort of, um, I do a lot more uh, ultra marathon distance runs. So 100Ks are good. I've ended my... I'm hoping to do my first 100-mile run next year in February in New Zealand. Wow. Um, there's, a, there's a run called Tarawira Ultra Marathon, and it's uh, 100 miles, 160Ks. And in that, there's a... You've got to get from one... At, at one point, you've got to get from one side of a lake to another side of a lake. Um, and there's a boat crossing, so you, you you get on the boat and they paddle you across. And I emailed the organisers to see if I could swim it, <laughs> but they wouldn't allow that. You got you got to take the boat, so okay. I'll have to get my swim in somewhere along the along the way. That would be an amazing trip. So, have you done Ironman events as well? Is cycling part of your uh, repertoire? Mm, no, I've, I've picked up I picked up cycling. Beginning of last year, I, I entered a half Ironman distance um, triathlon at Huskisson, uh, mm-hmm. um, and that that was sort of the first. That was my first triathlon. Actually, I hadn't even really done triathlon before then. So, um, and I, I really enjoyed it. The um, just having the swim, and and then. The ride, the ride was probably my least strongest leg, um, but it was a really nice course. It was flat and um, very scenic. And then, yeah, the run was the same. It was a scenic run um, as well. It was pretty hot, though, that run. But since then, I've done another. I did the Tweed Enduro. Um, I have done Ironman Distance events but they've just been um, self-styled adventures yep um that i did again with a mate so we, we've got in armadale there's a a run called the juval dam buster which is um it starts at jumeric dam where i swim and then behind jumeric dam there's a mountain called mount juval that rises about 400 meters above 
above the dam. They run up that three times, uh, twice to do 30 k's, and that that's the dam buster long run. Um, but last year, a mate and I decided to turn it into an Ironman, so we ran up Jabal three times, and then we swam four k's in the dam, and then we rode 180 k's around Armadale out to it. There's a few nice little scenic churches around Armadale, so we went out and visited those and then came back and finished at the dam. Um, That's amazing. And we'll probably do that this year. We'll do that again this year, I think. Although this year, the, the Dam Buster Trail Run has a 50k event, so they've they've got approval to add a 50k event onto the 30k. So um, we'll do the 50k and then probably swim and ride again. That sounds amazing. And for someone that's just picked up bike riding that you say, 180K is not not too shabby, really. Yeah. Well, I've been doing it for maybe a year and a year and a half, but I, I, I wax and wane with the bike riding because usually I'm, if I'm training for a big run, then I'll focus on the running more than the riding. Or if I'm focusing on a swim, I'll... Um, I'll focus on, I'll, you know, I'll, the bike's the first thing that I leave, leave yep. behind. I prefer running and swimming to riding. But I have actually just entered my first bike-only race, which is a 100k um, gravel bike ride at Tennerfield next month. Fantastic. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. I don't ever go in these things to win them. It's just more to have fun. Well, that, and that, enjoy the atmosphere. That's actually what I was just about to ask you. How how competitive you are? Are you? Because it sounds like you do you do this for fun, um, not necessarily to win. Although I'm sure winning yeah. is lovely. But well, I used to in the, I did a lot of ocean swimming a few years ago before COVID, um, and I used to get you know I used to get a position in that the age group category. Um, Never first, usually second or third. And I just, I did the Southwest Rocks Marathon a few weeks ago and I got second in that. So that's the first time I've ever won a prize for run, for running. Fantastic. And that one, was, that was a bit of an exception. I, um, I just thought, oh, I might see how I can go in it if I, if I try to run fast. And then, you know, but I, Finished the marathon in three hours, thirty-five minutes. So that's pretty quick. Which is you know, faster than what I thought I could do it. But then um, we have um, again some mates and I. We have a, a winter solstice tradition. So the week after the marathon, a mate and I we did a hundred k run in um, the national parks around Armadale. Uh, we we went we started at Cathedral Rocks, which is the the highest part on the Northern Tablelands, and then we ran down the side of the Great Dividing Range to the Bellinger River, had a bit of a swim, and then ran back up. Well, not really ran, but you know, hiked back up and um, finished at about one or two at two in the morning. It was a big day. 
That's a massive day. Uh, we did we did see we saw some pretty cool stuff. Like we saw a koala on the on the side of the road in an or on the side of the track in an area that had previously been burnt by bushfires because we've got some pretty serious bushfires up here in 2019 or early 2020. So it was good to actually see the koala in an area where which had been burnt. Um, and you know, it's, it's a good sign that things are recovering to, to some extent. They'll, they'll probably never come back to what they were, but they are recovering to some extent. What about what about our inland rivers and lakes? You hear a lot about. I mean, we talked a little bit about how whether they were safe or not to swim in, but you hear a lot about you know the fish kills and and then the rivers drying oh. up. And I guess uh, as part of your job, you must must look at all that sort of thing. How are we looking in yeah. New South Wales? Oh, it, it is a bit of a sad story, I think, uh, in in a lot of especially in, in inland areas. Um, but also on the coastal areas, I used to do, I did a lot of early work in, in the night, late 90s on the Hunter River. And I remember it used to be fairly clear around the Hunter. And um, then we had drought and, and then a bit of rainfall. And since then, that's really, the, the river seems to be really turbid. It's, it's not as clear as it used to be. And, um, yeah, there are a whole heap of factors, I think, that contribute to that. So, um, but, uh, um, yeah, and, and fish in inland rivers, fish populations seem to be on the decline. Native fish seem to be on the decline too. They're just battling against so many factors, um, river regulation, um, the agriculture, the water extraction, yeah, there's there's so many factors that contribute to um, the declining ecological communities out there. Yeah, if it was easy, if there was an easy solution, we would have employed it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but there's so many. There's there's a lot of competing demands for the water. Is that that's what it all comes down to, and um, the environment is just one of those aspects. Yeah, and a warming climate doesn't help either no that's right and you know things are becoming more and more erratic so you get you get a couple of years of drought and that that removes a lot of the vegetation off the land and then you get a a big dump of rain and it washes a lot of that soil that 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 bare soil into the rivers and creates problems with turbidity and low dissolved oxygen um as well as any other contaminants that might be in the soil. And where where would you like to swim? Like, I mean, you've swum in so many places. Are there any destinations left that that you want to that you want to go to? Oh, I'd love to go to Canada. Um, I, I just 
I've never been to Canada and you hear a lot about their rivers and that they've got so many lakes up there, cold, cold water lakes. I'd love to go to Antarctica. Um, yes. I don't know about doing the channel, the English channel. I, I, I suppose it would be a good, good thing to do. Um, I've got a mate actually from, he's out Broken Hill and he's training for the channel at the moment. Um, he, he swims. He's got a big property out there and he he backs onto one of the Menindee lakes and swims out there um, for, you know, for kilometres. Just getting used to the distance. Um, yeah, I, there's lots of places I'd like to see. Oh, that's so good. What about in, in, in where have you been over to like West? You, you, you talked about the Pilbara before, so I guess you've been over to Western Australia. Yeah, yeah. Done. I wouldn't mind doing Rottnest actually. That's one swim that'd be good. Yep. I've done a, a fair bit in the south western corner around Albany and Bunbury. Um, a bit of swimming off Perth. Um, end up around Newman yep. in the in the Pilbara, um, Kununurra. A few spots out there. Um, oh, that's very interesting. And across to, you know, we went across to the Northern Territory, up to up to Darwin, and there's lots of little spots up there too, Litchfield National Park. Um, yeah. I guess a lot of the mining companies across WA would be interested in speaking to you about, you know, about their effects on the on the waterways. Yeah, well, a lot of the work I was when I, when I was out there was for the mines, not not specifically surface water ecology but groundwater ecology that's another area that I um, work in we sample the the um, subterranean aquifers and they've got often got little invertebrates in it little blind white crustaceans that, um, that are extremely interesting I think they they pretty much look like little prawns but they're blind and they've got no pigments in their um, in their body so they're, they're either see-through or they're white and they live in they live in the sort of the gaps between the, the sand grains in river aquifers um, but they also live in in the cracks in, in rock aquifers they live in in the cracks um, and in the, the solute cavities in in limestone aquifers. Oh, how interesting! Mm. You can find you can find little crustaceany things everywhere, can't you? Yeah, that's right. There's there's um there's a group of crustaceans called copepods, and they seem to be all over the place. There's unique species that live in in rainforest trees in <laughs> right. in the hollows made between branches up in the crown of the trees and yeah, you know, they, they just get around from birds or uh, some of them have uh, desiccation resistant eggs. So they're able to, when a river or a, um, a, a billabong dries out, these eggs are able to survive in dried stages and they can get blown around by the wind. And uh, yeah, they're, they're very interesting things. 
I read something recently, slightly diverging, uh, about you know crab shapes and crustacean shapes and how often evolution has made them independently of each other, like a, a lot yeah. of times, so many more times than you would expect. It, it was fascinating. Yeah, crustaceans are a very diverse group. They, um, I think there's more known species of crustacean than there are of insects. Um, but when you think of it, a lot of the invertebrates in the ocean are crustaceans. Are crust uh, the ocean, ocean doesn't have many insects. It's dominated by crustaceans. Um, yeah, so, and, and freshwater and groundwater are other areas where crustaceans are fairly common. Oh, I, I, given they live out of sight, I imagine there's uh, that many again to f still find. So that's really interesting. Yeah, that's right. With the groundwater stuff, almost every time we've sampled, we've found new species. That's pretty cool. That is cool. Do you get to um, name them? Uh, I've, I've named a few. Um, I've got, oh, actually, there's a, a groundwater beetle that um, I've named after my daughter, and, and my son also has a little crustacean named after him. Oh, that's good. You you just want to hope that they don't end up being some horrible terrors that, that, that do something horrible <laughs> to the world once you breed them up and let them loose on the world. Yeah, well, the little crustaceans, they actually do look like something out of Alien. Um, <laughs> some, some of them have big claws out the front that, that almost look like praying mantis-type arms, and they have spines coming off their back. Um and legs, and they look they look quite vicious. Um, and they probably are because they're living in the, in the groundwater. There's not a lot of um, not a lot of food for them, so they have to pretty much eat what they can get. So they can be they'll eat. Um, they, they're quite good hunters, even though they're blind. They they feel feel their way through the sediments, and they they're able to detect other invertebrates and things in the aquifers as well, and they would have track them down oh that is so cool your kids are going to really thank thank you for that And so what's, uh, what, what's next then? What's your next challenge? Is it to just reach as many swims as you can or have you got any uh, big bucket list in mind for now? Oh, I haven't. I'll, I'll keep the... Well, COVID's really sort of kept... It means I keep my goals sort of local. I've got that... There's an indoor Ironman thing that I mentioned earlier. That's coming up next week, hopefully, if if COVID restrictions don't mean that um, the rest of New South Wales gets shut down. The, the original plan was to swim in the pool, then ride 180 k's on a bike trainer on Zwift, um, which is like a, um, a, 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 it's Zwift is an app that you can, you, you can fit your electronic trainer up to and you ride through a landscape and if you're going up a hill on the computer screen 
then you're actually pedaling gets harder. It's, it sort of stimulates real-world situations and, and, and you can ride with other people. So people in America can join in and ride with you online. Um, I, I'm not an expert on Zwift. I've only actually used it two or three times, but um, I'm planning to use it on this Ironman just to make it a bit more interesting and as a way of measuring distance. And then after the, the bike ride, that we're, we're going to run 42Ks on a treadmill. But with, with COVID restrictions, as they are in Armadale, to do that inside, we have to wear a mask and that would make it pretty hard. So we've come up with a plan B, which is to move the trainer outside and still called an indoor Ironman, but we're actually outside, so we don't have to wear masks. Well, that still counts. But, I mean, we're, we're, we're still, yeah, we're still restricted. We're not running through the landscape, enjoying the scenery. We're, we're just sort of slogging it out. That's going to be on interesting. A, on a treadmill. Yeah, yeah well, that's half, half, half the point, I think, is, is the psychological challenge of it. Yep. Because um, it's going to be pretty tough. And we've, we're raising money for Headspace too, which is a, um, it's an organisation that helps young people with mental health problems. And we're going to, the, the local Headspace office is going to come, come along and they'll have a tent set up and hopefully we'll get some people involved in the Ironman event. Um, we're, we're doing it at the local university has a sports union here and they were hoping to get a few people on separate treadmills or on exercise bikes and doing little sections of the Ironman along with us just to, just for fun. What, what do you think about when you're doing these super endurance events? Lots of things and not much. Yeah. Uh, often I'll, you know, I'll switch off and just, run through you know or, or swim through the landscape or and other, other times I'll be looking around trying to identify the different birds you see or hear it's hard, it's hard one uh, so I listen to podcasts a lot or audio books yeah um, although if I'm doing a race I don't I tend to just not not listen to anything and just enjoy the conversations that you have when you're running yep um, yeah, you, you also also think about work. We come up with new challenges to do. That's a big one. Yeah. Um, there's one bloke I ride with in particular, and every time we come back from a ride, we've got a list of about three or four different things that we want to do. So we just add them to the list. Yeah. And sometimes the ideas we come up with come to fruition. Other times they just drop off and disappear or we'll come back to them and refine them and come up with another challenge. So m most of my running and swimming is not really event-based. It's not really organised events. It's for us just coming up with adventure ideas and, and seeing how they work out. That There can't be too many people as fit as you to be able to do these events? How, how big is your crew? Oh, it, well, there's me, 
there's probably about two or three long distance runners who I run with regularly on um, our winter solstice challenge. There's a group of two other people and two other blokes and I who've done it every year. Um, and then the swimming group, there's, um, there's the 18 members of the, the um, high cows, they're called, the high country open water swimming. Um, but all, of them, there's probably three or four that do longer distance swimming. Most of them, um, they'll do a couple of Ks and, um, and just try different types of water, different lakes and different... They do the, the Coffs Harbour Ocean Swim every year, which is um, I think it's two k's or two and a half k's in Coffs Harbour, and they'll go off to Byron Bay and do the ocean swim up there. And yeah, and cycling, there's maybe only one or two other people who I ride with. Um, I started doing well last year. I started doing axes, which are they're not really races, they're just rides that people do and someone will, will put a map up and you'll have a card and a list of tasks. So you might have to go to a cafe and get a receipt from that cafe as evidence that you've been there. And and the rides might be 200 k's long and um, on the ride you might have four or five different tasks that you have to complete. And then you come back and present your card and it gets um, authenticated and then you, you, you get an official time and all that. So that's just a bit of fun, really, more than a, a race. Oh, that's very cool, um, though. Yeah. It's, all, I it's just good having a, having a base level of fitness. It, it just opens up a whole heap of doors um, on what you can do. So I, I try to do a marathon, I do, I, I've been doing a marathon a month, but often I'll do more than one uh, just as, to, to maintain my endurance fitness um, and I'll swim every day um, at di- differing lengths. These, these days, most of my swims are about a K, but occasionally I'll do three or four and then probably in the end of August, the beginning of September I'll start ramping up my swim distance a bit um, in the lead up to the Copeton swim Wow, do you get any sleep? <laughs> There's not many hours left yeah, in the day <laughs> I, I, really, I really struggle, I've always had trouble sleeping so I do love it though love, I sleep sleep's my favourite thing <laughs> but, um, I, yeah, I usually get up at 4 four or five. Um, sometimes if I'm having trouble sleeping, I used to just get up at one o'clock and I'd go out to the dam and have a swim and then come home and then I'd go back to sleep yep. and it would help me sleep. Um, but yeah, these days I probably get up at four or five and I'll go for a run or a ride and a swim and then be back but at 7.30 or 8 to get the kids ready for school. Um, my wife works as a nurse, so she often starts early and um, and works odd hours. So um, you know, I, end up, I take the kids to school and um, 
Yeah, and then that, that's probably the, the only exercise I do is usually in the morning because in the afternoon I come home and I've got household jobs and other stuff to do. Wow, though. I mean, that's really great, though. I mean, see, there, there's the problem. That's why I'm not an elite athlete like you. I can't get up at 4 a.m. in the morning. That's... <laughs> uh, you get used to it. I, I, I did go through a stage where I, I wasn't getting up early, and then um, I, I found it uh, after a few mornings of or probably a, a week or so of sleeping in till 7 o'clock, I found it really hard to go back to the 5 or 4.30 starts for a couple of days. But once you get used to it, it becomes easier. Once you get your mind... If you go to bed knowing you're getting up at 4 in the morning and you're going to go running or something, you're out of bed and you've got your shoes on before you actually think about what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. And that makes it a bit easier than if you're a bit... If, if you're not as routine if it's not as regular part of your routine uh, and you have to actually think about what you're going to do it it makes it a bit harder thank you very much to peter hancock for taking so much time out of his afternoon to have a chat if you'd like to find the links to pete's instagram strava and twitter then get over to the website at www.thepodpodcast.net that's www.thepodpodcast.net. Thanks again, Pete. My name's Mark West. I'll catch you next time on The Pod. Hold up. 